Welcome to Uncle Form Podcast. This is a 30-ish minute podcast created to celebrate and showcase diversity within Black Male Thoughts. I'm Darius Watkins. Yep, I'm Ryan Thomas. Hey, man, and we are here. Man, today on the podcast, man, we got a very special guest, somebody who was on the very first season of the podcast, um, somebody who's currently in L.A. kicking it with my Lakers, uh, somebody who's about to be a doctor, <laughs> somebody who is just dope all around and has done some dope research that she's going to talk about with us. And this is an exclusive, y'all. So just know that I'm talking about our girl, Wasi Chikungwa. What's good? <laughs> hey guys, um, <laughs> I was hoping this is a great place for like those audio um, claps or whatever. Anyway, uh, anyway, yes, I am Wadi. Good to see you guys again. It's good to be back. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to talk about my research, especially you know as I just finished my my master's thesis a few months slash weeks ago. And a lot of people are like, oh, is there an audio version of this? And so I can be like, hey, here's one option. Um, yeah. But yeah. Tell us about your research, what you've been researching, why you chose to research it, so on and so forth. Mm, yeah. So I will first uh, read you my title. It's a mouthful. Okay. The, the effect of benevolent sexism in on cross-sex friendships among evangelical Christians. Okay, now I want to ask. The, I have a question already. Benevolent yes. sexism, meaning right. good sexism. That that's so interesting. <laughs> Catches your ear for sure. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I'm glad you're picking up on that. I'm, I almost like I was hoping someone would ask that question. What is benevolent sexism? And so, mm -hmm. um, so partly I'll go with Darius's question first, and I'll kind of weave that in. So I did. I really. I mean, I I have a long history of, like you know, different friends. Like I have guy friends, I have girlfriends. I've been so blessed to just uh, find a lot of community among my friends. Mm -hmm. um, but I just learned over the years that like something about my friendships with guys, especially Christian guys, just, it has a different flavor. Um, we'll call it that. And it's just, there's so many pieces of it that I feel like um, was intriguing enough that I couldn't put my finger on that I was just like, okay, I want to I think I want to study this and I'm just passionate about gender dynamics. Anyone who knows me knows that, but I also am really passionate about the church having healthier um, cross-sex relationships. So even when I say friendships, I'm kind of thinking even beyond just what you would call a friend, but any relationship with a brother in Christ who's not related to you or who's not your spouse. So I'm like, how can we do this in, in life-giving and healthy ways? Um, so that's why I'm studying it. Now, what is benevolent sexism? So uh, we'll, we'll go to school for a little bit and then we'll come back to the podcast. So basically when you think of sexism, there's like two forms. Uh, hostile sexism is what you would think of typically when people say sexism, it's almost it's shorthand for hostile sexism, which is um, it's hostile, it's abusive, it's domineering, it's all of the usual stuff that you know the feminism movement was against of um, yeah, looking down on women or all of that. And that's pretty obvious. Um, and if you if you want to come together a little bit, think of it like in the racial movement, there's like explicit racism. So mm -hmm. the equivalent would be like hostile sexism. That is pretty, if someone says something racist, you know it. It's not, there's no doubt. But the more implicit, subtle version of that, right, mm -hmm. um, is what comes up, which in, in the sexism side of things would be the more benevolent sexism. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's well-meaning. Um, and sometimes it even feels like a compliment or it feels pleasant, um, but it kind of maintains the status quo um, and it's kind of demeaning. So really, if you have to use a short shortcut like definition of it, it's like this assumption that 
you know, women are cute, uh, but they're not competent. Mm. Or they're cute, but they're incapable. So they're kind of second level citizens, but we still love them. We still need to, you know, take care of them to protect them, these precious little fragile creatures. Um, and so that's what benevolent sexism is uh, in, in a short yeah, version. Yes, there is. So two, two questions already. Uh, the first question <laughs> is like, would it be fair to like compare benevolent sexism to a microaggression? Like, would, would that be fair? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. That's super, yeah, that's really insightful. I actually didn't do that with my research, but there is a lot of ways that benevolent sexism could parallel mi microaggression where, um, mm -hmm. for example, it's like, oh, you're really, you're a really good boss for a woman, yeah. you know? And so that is like such a, it's a that, that's a really perfect parallel where they could be kind of like, it's good vibes. Usually it's not harmful, but mm -hmm. it just leaves an aftertaste that's like, Mm, that was uncomfy that didn't feel right and it right. felt like it's coming from identity um in a way that i'm not at the same level as everyone else yeah, yeah. And, and my second question um in relation to that is kind of like would it also be fair to say like in like these super black and white churches not racially but like black and white like in the sense of like it's this and that um would it be fair to say that like that may be a thing in like hiring women like only to work with kids oh yes Yes, yes, yes. A million yeses. And so that's uh, one of the ways that benevolent sexism manifests in the workplace, um, not just in churches, but beyond as well, is kind of um, streamlining, uh, basically, who can work what jobs. Um, mm -hmm. So you have that stereotypical company where there's like the CEO is the man and then mm -hmm. the like mid management may be like a mix, but it's mostly men. And then the women are like the secretaries and maybe the janitors mm -hmm. and maybe, um, you know, the people who are in the front facing or people facing jobs um, in the nursery at a church or whatever else. And so, yeah, that's definitely one way that that fleshes out. Gotcha. So yeah, I, I actually, I feel like there's a lot of things I'm hearing that's jumping out to me. I, I know you haven't mentioned it as of yet, but uh, I think you were telling Darius about the relationship between chivalry, um, cross-sex relationships, now benevolent sexism. And it's all these things that's kind of like, you know, working in a way to make things more difficult. Um, so yeah. I don't want to get you too off track before you, before you finish your introduction. Were you done? No, no, go for it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did want to ask you this. Have you found that it's been difficult over the years to create and maintain relationships with men, Christian men, especially? Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say maybe yes and no. I, I think it's been, I feel like, why not? I can say it. I think I'm a really friendly person. I enjoy talking to people and I think people enjoy talking to me. Um, and I think usually that makes it pretty easy to at least have initial um, friendships with men, I think. But I think some of the issues come with maintain maintenance of those friendships of like how deep they go and some of the, the vibes, uh, for lack of a better word, in the friendship. Um, and coming back to that with the chivalry and things, I think um, the things I care about sometimes can rub people the wrong way. Uh, that's one. And then two, um, which we'll get into the, my research a bit later on. Uh, and, and I think this is a common experience, you know, when there's attraction on one side or the other, that always makes things a bit trickier. Um, so not to give too much of a spoiler, but like, we're just gonna open that uh, box of worms a little bit later, but that's one of the issues I'd say has made it difficult to maintain friendships. That said, I still have had like 
I feel I have some friends I've had for like decades from when I was a kid. I have one friend like that. I have another friend who I've had for more than 10 years who's my closest guy friend. Um, and I have some like a little group of African friends and um, who I feel like are probably long, lifelong friends um, who I think, I feel like they're pretty solid and stable. But outside of that, I think, hmm, we'll say American. I think American context is a bit different than African context, but mm -hmm. I'll leave it at that. So, yeah. No. That was literally my next question. Um, like, what mm -hmm. does what does it look like? Um, what what have you observed in America, uh, and maybe have like some research to back? Um, and also like compare that and contrast that to like what you what you've observed in other places. Right. Ooh, such a loaded question, <laughs> and it's one of the things. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to uh, unpack research wise. Um, mm -hmm. So here I'll say this is anecdotal. This is what these opinion and experience. This is not proved by anyone as far as I know so I think one of the things I found in my friendships is that it's a lot easier to have like brother sister relationships or friendships with my African friends mm. and by African I mean my Zimbabwean my Kenyan my Tanzanian you know like from Africa uh friends um and I think something like some of my African-American friends like I feel like you guys have seen you know you're like my brothers we're not super, super close, but I still mm -hmm. feel like brotherly. Yeah. I think when it comes to um, like American or Caucasian, like mainstream evangelical, mm -hmm. not to, you know, get too deep into the, the details, but I think sometimes <laughs> there's so much that is packed into that package that makes it very difficult for men and women to just have healthy brother, sisterly friendships that are not um where there's not so much subtext about like what should and shouldn't happen and all of these other things so yeah i don't know if that answers the question yeah i mean i mean i think uh from what i've learned about uh the african men that i know that live in the united states they tend to have uh more it, it, at least you can correct me if i'm wrong right but it do seem to tend to have more of a um uh, a sterner uh, relationship with their significant others. Now, like I said, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, hey, I, I want you to be. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do an African accent. I, I stopped myself. I stopped yeah. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to try it too. I was like, don't even, no, don't even do it. But I'm glad you thought twice. No, 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 no. I, um, I think I did that last season. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> but um, you know, he, he's just kind of like, I want my wife to be traditional. You know, I want her to, mm. I want her to take care of the kids mm. more. And, you know, and some women can look at that and look at it as kind of like, you know, part of what you're saying may be the issue um, in your research. Would you agree or? Ooh, <laughs> um, can I answer that? I'll answer that with a story. I'll say this is not everyone's um, experience. I don't think it's true of all African men, obviously, you know, no yeah. people group is a man of us, yada, yada, yada. But my closest guy friend, um, <clears throat> you'd probably say, and actually we butted heads for a long time because when we first met, we were both from um, our home country and then we came here and we were like, you know, one of the few Zimbabweans or whatever. Um, and so we were kind of a, a ready-made friend group, right? Uh, with a couple other people. And mm -hmm. he had really these kind of, what you're calling stern, but I'd say more um, gender role type of expectations on women and so I was like really you know passionate about ministry I wanted to maybe be a pastor maybe do you know different things like that um 
And he was like, who do you think you are? You know, women are not supposed to do X, Y, and Z. So for two years, we really didn't get along, but we were also all the communities that we had from back home, um, which I think uh, helped us to, to circle back to some things. And I think maybe that helped us to never, ever have the romantic thing on the table because I was like, I hate those things that you stand for. And he was kind of like, what kind of wayward woman is this? Um, but ultimately, we we really, he's also one of um the most uh like consistent and stable friend I've had. Like I can depend on him for for anything. I feel like I could call him and I'd be like, yeah, I need I need this or that. And I think we've gotten to a place where we can as equals, he could also call me and be like, I need this and that. And so mm-hmm. um I think there's something to be said for the way people act in romantic relationships and the way they act in friendships, which I think was helpful in that friendship. I was like, okay, you want this kind of wife. I'm not your wife. So you don't have these ex- expectations over me. I'm your friend. So we're going to meet where our relationship, we're going to navigate it. And it's going to look like this. And I think some people um, can draw that line and some people can't, and some people would rather not. So that's a, a, a case by case thing, but yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and jump into your research. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to know more about your research so we can continue to ask questions. Cause like, I love the stories and I love all this stuff, but I know some people are like, I want to know what our research says. Like, right. I want to know what your research says. So like, can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe your method, your methodology with your, re- with, mm-hmm. with your research and you know what I'm saying? Just like your findings. Yeah. yeah. It's like, how long do we have? <laughs> um, so basically I'm doing qualitative research, uh, which is a type of research. When you think of research, there's two categories. You can go numbers and tests and statistics and yada, yada, or you can do interviews and I'm doing interviews. So that's qualitative. And so mm-hmm. what that means is I pick a group of people that are in the demographic that I'm choosing, which for me was evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And I interview them about the topic. I uh, analyze the interviews. I, I kind of transcribe them. So I have them in writing as well as in mm-hmm. video. Um, I look for themes, literally go line by line and be like, this is the summary of what they're saying. This is a buzzword. This is a buzzword. And then after all of these interviews, I integrate those themes and be like, here's like 10, 12, 20, 30 things that are coming up and then kind of shape those into a narrative of like, what is this telling us about this topic, Uh, which in this case is cross-sex friendships of Christians. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, is that... That's the methodology piece. Yeah. Uh, and let me just say something real quick. Like yeah. most students almost never do qualitative research. Like, so for like- For good I, reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't want them to get lost in the sauce. Like qualitative research is very hard to do and most people don't do it. And uh, YC said for good reason. And that's because it's a lot of work that comes to that. And mm-hmm. it's a lot more gray um, in the findings and stuff like that. So it's, it's generally frowned upon. So like mm-hmm. shout out to you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would say, I think it is, it's really, it's hard, I think, because like, especially the history of psychology, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're very straight, white collar, you know, made by like white men in the 40s or whatever. So we like things very linear um, and, and very quantifiable. But as psychology moves away from that, as a society is starting to be more invested in the narrative of people's experiences, there's mm-hmm. a lot more um, qualitative research being published. And usually when we're thinking of new topics, Mm-hmm. Uh, where there's not there's not inventories or measures to say what's the quality of a cross-sex friendship. So mm-hmm. we have to, the first batch of anything that ends up being quantitative eventually has to be interviews um, mm-hmm. to see the things that can then become tests and measures and quantitative. So 
Yes. <laughs> so, so my question is, uh, if you just had to make it, you know, very compact and say, these are my three main findings, what yes. would you say those, those big three are uh, that you found right. in the research? Right. So my big three findings are, first of all, you'd say, you know, is there benevolent sexism in cross-sex friendships? That's the assume, assumed question. Okay. So yes, there is. So that's the first one. And we'll go into the details of that. The second one is how does that affect Christian friendships, right? Mm -hmm. And basically the second finding is that there's this wall that builds when people have benevolent sexism, and this is on both sides, both on the men's side and on the women's side, it builds this barrier in the friendship that is kind of then becomes something people are trying to navigate all the time. And so the mm -hmm. next thing would be how people are navigating and the kind of behaviors they engage to be able to like circumvent or avoid this wall or whatever they're doing. Um, and then the third, the, the last thing is um, kind of how Christians believe they can start to have healthier friendships. Like what are some helpful tools that have helped people to have healthy friendships despite this wall? Mm -hmm. So benevolent sexism, mm -hmm. the wall, wall management behavior and healthier friendships. Yeah, and I, and I think it is kind of difficult to navigate because culturally, okay benevolent sexism is the thing that i'm really thinking about here you know yeah some people operate from different definitions when it comes to what sexism even is especially like some women like for instance if uh a guy's like hey let me get your luggage for you let me carry it out to the car some women may look at that and say well you know thank you some may look at it and say well, what do you think i can't do it because i'm a woman you know <laughs> so it's kind of difficult mm. some of those you know especially when it like we said with chivalry you know, where it's like, hey, I want to open your door. I want to do these things. I think most of the time men are well-meaning. And I won't say most of the time because I haven't done the research. <laughs> but when I hear benevolent, okay, that's so. yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it I think it's a lot of interesting things that could conversation that can be brought up from what you mm -hmm. said. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I'll put like two plugs here. So the first thing is that, yeah, I think that is very important to emphasize, emphasize that benevolent sexism does come from a good place. Um, in the same way, you know, the person who says, uh, you know, you're really smart for a black man. It's coming from a good place, <laughs> just, you know? Um, and so there is, it's like, there's this, it's a compliment. It's something warm in it that's like, oh, we want to protect you and want to do this thing for you. Um, but the impact, whether or not the woman is receptive, right? Um, there's both impact to, to men and to women and, and kind of just, without going into too much detail, but like the impact on women is that it can kind of turn into, if you can think of, again, racism, internalized racism, mm -hmm. internalized um, like benevolent sexism becomes like this sense of internalized, I'm not capable because I'm a woman. I have to have a man to help me um, in life or romantically or professionally. Um, or the, just this um, almost like hot sexism is a punishment. Like the women who don't fit this mold, uh, they're attacked, they're belittled, but then the women who do fit this mold are almost like forced to stay as these um, very docile types of women. And I don't think there's anything wrong if that's a personality trait, but when all of us are being forced to fit that mold, that's where some of the problem comes. And then to men, it also becomes this pressure to like, to always be the provider, to always, you know, open the, the check or to always do this thing. And it's almost like there's no, there's no way for us to move. And so it's suffocating to both men and women. And that's very important to note. Second thing, book plug, Liz Plank, For the Love of Men, um, is a very good book to help kind of start to 
to think through some of those things. Uh, if you're very conservative or Republican, I don't recommend it. Um, but uh, I think if you're like moderate to like the other side of things, like you, there's some things in there about just the impact of that on us that um, we just, we want to free women to be all they can be, but we also want to free men to be all that they can be. Um, and yeah, I won't go into too much, but yeah. Man, that's a mouthful. That's yeah. I got so much I want to say, uh, but not enough time. Uh, but yeah. like, I just wonder um, how this affects friendships. Like, how does this truly affect friendships? Because like, I can think about today. Um, I went. I was. I don't care. I was at the liquor store, um, and I was getting. Um, I was getting some bourbon for a friend. Um, <laughs> I wish I could see why I see right now. Uh, but I was getting some. <laughs> she was a. She was uh, empathizing in a lot of time. That's what I can say. Uh, <laughs> but I was getting some bourbon for a friend. And this friend is like a bourbon aficionado. And he and he he got like this expensive bourbon or whatever. And I bought it. And the guy was like, ooh, that's some expensive bourbon right there. And I know that I'm not the only one that got that bourbon today. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it was me who got it. And I don't think he, he'd have the same reaction if it was somebody else who got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. like, it's easy to say that comes from like, a good place, but like, I feel like it, it still has like an impact on people. Um, mm -hmm. And like, what does that look like? I can think about like yes. books read um, on black moms, like going to the store and how they're preparing themselves to be discriminated with yes. as they're as they're going into the store. So, mm -hmm. so like long-term, what does that do to a person? So like, we can say it's like from a good place, but like the effects are mm -hmm. not good at all. No, <laughs> so, no, no. Um, so like, and right. I know this is just like the first series of research that you've done this in this area, but I really mm -hmm. wonder like what the long-term effects are on women specifically, not necessarily on men. Yeah. I don't think it, it truly impacts them uh, if I'm being honest with you, but on women. Um, I will say uh, the impact, there's some impact on men, but it's definitely not to the same degree. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'll start with just in general in the history of the research, because we have to do a lot of, you know, lit review, right? Yeah. Um, and then kind of go go into the friendship, um, tying into my research. So basically in history, we see that like some of the, the benevolent sexism uh, like beliefs um, can lead to certain assumptions about women. And so um, one study showed like there's basically there's a measure for benevolent sexism. I can read um, some of the items from there for you in a second. But people who rate high in benevolent sexism tend to have a lower, um, like if they see sexually ambiguous situations, they're more likely to like condone non-consensual sexual activity because they're like, oh, women are meant to be sexual. Women are meant to be there for men's um, joy, enjoyment or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then also in the same thing within, uh, like if we were going to, to go into work context, the like if a woman even for women and men if you're working in an environment that endorses gender um uh, like gender roles then there's a like there may be short-term benefits so you know people like you you get pissed on the back people like maybe will buy you lunch every once in a while but they're not going to promote you they're not going to consider you for like higher level um positions uh they're not going to consider you when they have more challenging projects because this is a woman she has to be like home with the with the kids and the husband so how can we give them such a challenging task and if you're a career-oriented woman that is a big uh, a big um challenge uh a big hit to you just because you're a woman right and because you need to be protected uh and then when you go into like the friendship space 
there hasn't been that much research done, which is why I'm doing this. Um, mm. But we did start to see like within the interviews, this time it was the men. Um, and I'm, I started interviewing the women, but I haven't like narrowed down the results yet. But there's these assumptions that like women are morally superior or like, oh, you know, women, they're so nurturing. They're so tender. They're so emotionally available, right? We've all heard that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But what that looks like going back to the research is that they end up being this uneven emotional weight or burden on the relationship. So like mm-hmm. where women can feel used by the men in their lives for meeting emotional needs. And that also then turns into the slippery slope where there's mixed signals, because if you need me for emotional needs, but then you don't, you, you're not meeting my emotional needs. You can come to me when you're having a rough day and I listen and I support and I hold mm-hmm. and all of these things. And then I don't get the same in return. Um, then that's a one side and then a heavy burden. And if you have or a woman with a lot of guy friends, they're all doing this with the women, with usually one or a few women in their lives, then that's mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, it's a mental and emotional strain. Um, and then also, it can also go into like um, sexualization. So mm-hmm. if uh, that's another kind of subcategory of benevolent sexism, women are supposed to be pretty. So if you're a woman who isn't pretty or it happens not to be looking pretty today, um, they can be negative impact. It's like, you know, there's this assumption that you're you're not taking care of yourself and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But also where um, it's almost like we we reward the women who dress up and look a certain way. Um, and then we almost neglect or ignore the ones who don't. And if you're in a friendship where that's kind of the pattern, um, that can be very harmful as well. Um, and so uh, same thing, yeah, toxic masculinity, uh, women just, yeah. Oh, and men. Right. So, sorry, I just threw a loaded term. I'm going to leave that right now. But uh, another gender-based assumption that's consistent with benevolent sexism is the idea that men are more uh, sexually tempted than women. That's another big uh, belief that's in gender sexism, I mean, gen- benevolent sexism ideology, where if you think men are more sexually tempted, then you're going to like treat the women around you like a Jezebel because they're just here to be objects of temptation. And so you don't see them as a human being. You're not seeing this as just a source of temptation. And so now the women around you are feeling like, did I do something wrong? Why are they treating me awkwardly? If you think of that, even like within a church or a work context and all the men around you never meet with you alone, they never do anything. They don't want to talk to you. You just have a question and they're acting like you're coming for their marriage. And it's like, really intense um if all the men are around you it's like almost like questioning your your sincerity or questioning your you know if you're questioning your faith or just all of these things your integrity uh does that make sense yes you know a lot of sense and you said a whole <laughs> lot you um, another mouthful i feel like this is the first step just awareness right like all these things are things that men especially need to hear because women are experiencing these things every day. And, um, you know, I think this is the good, a good first step, you know, just awareness. So I'm enjoying this conversation for sure. Yeah, Do you, and, and I know we used like the African example earlier and you kind of say like, obviously Africans are not a monolith, but I feel like culturally, like we treat men and women, especially in Christian culture, like we treat them like monoliths. Oh, I'm a woman. so. Um, I'm supposed to be emotional or, or you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to be that. Um, I'm a male, so my brain only works this way. And it just leads to like, hey, I think it leads to like a slippery slope. Um, and it, it almost like sets the groundwork for everything that you're talking about as far as like temptation and things like that, that may not have been there if you use more neutral language. 
uh, maybe more gray language as it relates to some of these things. And then I just wonder like how it manifests itself, like just like in what I'll call honestly, like a Christian pornography crisis <laughs> that's going on right now. So like, culture. yeah, yeah, which we did an episode on. So if y'all hadn't heard that thing, go back and listen to part one and part two. Um, yeah, shout out to Moe and Yeah. Oof, it's, I, I can't even, like, there's so much. I could talk about that alone for weeks. Um, <laughs> I think we we'll now have got, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I think a big part of, this is a big part of sexism in general, right, is the mm-hmm. sexualization of women. And mm-hmm. the pornography crisis and the purity culture, both sides are basically objectification. So the way the secular context is dealing with that is like um, embracing objectification in the like affirming that those urges, mm-hmm. right? And so because of that, we're gonna look at all the women around us as sexual objects, we're gonna pursue them and consume them and value pornography and all of these things. That's one way. The way the church has responded to it is a negative, it's, it's almost the opposite, but it's still objectification because Ultimately, like I said, if a woman is distilled down to a sexual object, which is what pornography does, you're seeing women on the screen, they're there just for you, and they're there for your consumption. And so the women in your life, your brain isn't going to switch off and be like, oh, the woman on the screen is just an object. But the woman in your life is a full being and made in the image of God, and she needs to be treated this way. It's going to be they're all sexual creatures. Mm-hmm. That in the church culture, it's like the women on the screen, yeah, you're going to, maybe you'll be, you know, consuming porn in the dark or whatever, but then you're still going to treat the women in your life as if they're the, the women on the porn screens. And mm-hmm. so then that comes back again to to the Jezebel vibes where you're like, the women in your life can't be full beings. Um, they're only sexual objects. So if you're, if you're uh, like trying to be, you know, holy and all of that, you're going to avoid them at all costs. You're not going to treat them like you would treat your guy friends, like you treat your brothers in Christ. But again, if you're coming from that lens of porn culture and consumption and you're not in a holy space, you're in your least sanctified version, then you're you're going to be um, making like ill, you know, what basically sexual harassment and advances and things like that, like basically testing the boundaries with the women in your life. Um, mm-hmm. And either way, that's a problem because if we can if we can remove this this objectification and start to see each other as human beings made in the image of God, with strengths, with contributions, with callings, um, who bring value to the body of Christ, then we can interact with each other with a lot more honor and respect. Um, right. And that doesn't have to be the sexualization doesn't have to be the number number one thing that we're thinking of when we are interacting with someone of the opposite sex. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? What sin does to your psychology is crazy. I like mm-hmm. the way that you explain that, though, because it's a psychological shift that happens when you're dealing with pornography, and it and it changes the way you deal with the women in your life, very possibly. And I, you know, before before you get uh, wrapped up here, I did want to let you go back to the can of worms that you brought up earlier, which was basically like um, when you have attraction on one end or another, and you have a cross sex mm-hmm. friendship. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times that that is kind of tricky. <laughs> you know, one girl, like mm-hmm. the girl likes the guy, but the guy doesn't necessarily like the girl that way. Yeah. Like he's romantically interested and he's not necessarily feeling that way. So did you have any uh, thoughts on navigating that that situation? You know, just for the safety yes. of 
Yes, yes. Um, I think the first thing is, hmm, I'm trying to decide if I should go with my research or just go with my, my gut. <laughs> I'll go with my research because (laughs) I'll say a little bit of my research because the wall like basically when we build up this wall we just assume that everything is going to become sexual attraction or romantic attraction Mm -hmm. and first of all we need to question that assumption not every relationship like not every person of the opposite sex you see is going to become a like object of your sexual interest Second, mm-hmm. attraction comes in so many forms. And I think because we've just so conditioned ourselves to only sexual attraction or only romantic attraction, we can't allow room for like, oh, I'm interested in this person. What is this interest? Am I intellectually interested in them? Am I um, just, I enjoy like their spirit. There's some, maybe there's something in, in their character that God is trying to teach me. Maybe there's something about, you know, like all of these layers of attraction or ways that people can be drawn to each other that we've limited down. Um, so we just erect this wall because we can't deal with any of it, right? And so that's the first thing is like allowing ourselves to be attracted, but not letting that be a threat. I think this is also different for single versus married people, but we'll leave that for now. Absolutely. Uh, and then, <laughs> no, we, we about to come back to that, so. <laughs> right. Um, but also like, so here are some ways that at least my participants, the, the, the like handful of things that I think you guys can decide whether or not they, you know, they just think that come up as people are managing this wall, right? Or, or this attraction, whatever. And so if the wall is just about sexualization, it's mostly in Christian context, and it's, it also varies, right? According to your marital status, your relationship, whatever. Mm-hmm. Some people, like a lot of the ways they do is navigating their sexual attraction. So that can mean communicating about it. But for some people, it means avoidance. It's my least favorite thing, guys. I mean, I, I would say don't do this when you're already married. So ideally, that's not even on the table. So, but avoidance, like basically just shutting down and pretending it doesn't exist. It's an option. It's not the best option. Um, but there's the Billy Graham rule. That's one way of dealing with that, where you decide, oh, I'm never going to spend time with any woman one-on-one except for my wife. Um, I have friends, my guy friends who uh, adhere to that rule. That's how they live their lives. Um, I don't love it for some reasons, but I think it's one option. If God forbid you just think, you know, I'm, I'm just tempted beyond anything, or or maybe that's what you've decided in your relationship establishes trust, whatever the reason that something people do, um, and they're managing each other's expectations. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can start to helpfully deal with this without having to foreclose on Christian, on Christian friendships. And I think one of the things that we have to start doing is really being honest with ourselves as far as our, uh, maybe our our temptations individually. Not what the church has said is like, oh, men are sexual, blah, blah, blah. Like that is BS, it's not good. It's, <laughs> it's not good theology. It's not mm-hmm. good socially. It's not good for the church. We don't accept that that narrative. We don't. Um, we we maybe end up even giving permission to men to just to, to young men before they've even had a chance to discover what are their own you know core sins or character strengths. Um, but that's another sidebar. Um, so I think one thing I found from my research, <laughs> if I can keep talking, <laughs> is that is that like learning. So learning experiences and maturity. I, I realized that the older men in my study were more, they were more flexible with the way that they viewed women. They were more flexible about some of the, the 
what it looks like to honor their marriages um, while still having healthy relationships. So that could look like expanding the context of the friendship. So like for me, when some of my guy friends get married, then that means becoming friends with their wives. And to the extent that I can, I come to their house, I still have meals. They don't stop being my friend because they got married. I just start being a part of their family in some way, shape or form. And obviously that looks different depending on the relationship, right? Um, and, you know, they start being a, a support system to me too. Like it's not just he's there for me, it's him and his wife are there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way, I'm there for both of them. Uh, and then boundaries and communication. Avoidance is like, I think, a, it's kind of like maybe in a dire situation, if a woman is actively making a huge sexual advance to you. Maybe it works, but I think it's more, it's less mature. It's not a nuanced way of dealing with things. Communicating about especially if you're two single people this is feeling awkward is this feeling awkward for you do we need to dtr whatever it looks like can we continue our friendship and still honor our boundaries or whatever are we interested in each other do you want to explore this and date or not so you can have a conversation and it doesn't have to end the friendship but it doesn't also have to be like ghosting Um, (laughs) yeah 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 ghosting (laughs) Um, and then Christ likeness, how would God, you know, treat, how would G- what would Jesus do? All of those things. Um, and I think a sibling relationship really is at the heart of it. And some people did even mention just seeing churches model it well, like some churches where there's more leadership, like more balance between men and women in leadership who mm-hmm. seem to just view each other as equals and they, um, honor each other they enjoy each other it's not awkward there's not like men over there and women over here and we never talk um and so yeah i'm, I'm done talking oh dude that's that's so <laughs> that's also interesting um and man i think that like culturally we're gonna have to like especially within christian culture like where we've made some things biblical that are not biblical um even like as it relates to cross uh gender friendships like some things are going to have to change because like as more people continue to come to Christ, which I know and believe that they will, that come from different cultures, like myself, I don't come from a church culture. Like that's not my culture that, that I grew up in. Even while I was in the church, I wasn't of the church. And it's because I was in, I went, I was in a white, white evangelical church. So I took everything with a grain of salt. Uh, but like with that being said, like, I'm not like, I wasn't, I was never of the church. So like, was it, what does it look like when, when these people do become Christians and they do get married and they do try to have a biblical lifestyle and somebody says, do something that Jesus didn't even do. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yes, Jesus was never married, but still like, we got we have, we have to figure some things out. So Jesus was not cutting women out of his life. Yeah. I'm just saying like, Jesus was never married. Oh, yeah, that's, what okay. they, that's what they right, would say. Right, yeah. would say. He was never right. married. So like, that doesn't count. Um, mm-hmm. so. He was very close to Mary Magdalene, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people try to speak into that. Even it's almost like people the sexualization of Jesus. Yeah, they, they don't believe in female and male relationships it's like why are you trying to make mary magdalene and jesus a thing like they were just friends you know what i'm saying i i need to yes i need to say i I think i'm just i'm sorry i don't know if this ever came up on your podcast but i'm tired of hearing this question of can men and women be friends Mm. because because that's not especially as christians we have a bible that shows us that you have brothers and sisters in christ Mm -hmm. and those aren't like brothers can only be, can be this close, but like sisters can only be like up to here and then they can't come any closer because if we're going to edify each other and we all have gifts that presumably the people God placed in our lives bring something to each other and we're meant to give something to them, 
mm-hmm. that when we block that off, we're like ignoring completely half of the body or especially in a lot of churches where it's like 70% of the body is women, but like mm-hmm. 10% of the leadership is women. Right, Bob? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> then that becomes an issue where it's like, we have this completely warped view of gender and we can't even learn from all of the gifts that God has given us. So it's not about, can we be friends? It's how did Jesus and how did the disciples, how was this modeled in the Bible? All of the one another verses, they don't just apply to your brothers in Christ and your small group, that's the same gender. They apply to everyone. Love your sisters in Christ. Encourage your sisters in Christ. Build them up. Like mm-hmm. all of these things that we're not even doing when all we're thinking about is how their sexual temptations and avoiding them. Um, I'm not angry, but <laughs> oh, that's good though. That's yeah, really good. and uh, and sh- shout out that book one more time that you mentioned earlier. Oh yes, that is uh, Liz Plank, and it's called "For the Love of Ma- Men." Um, it touches on a whole other thing that I didn't get into in detail here, but basically about how toxic masculinity is robbing men of the capacity for deep and intimate relationships, or at least that's the piece that's relevant here. Um, and so because there's only like the women's liberation movement brought so many new ways of being female, like you can be a woman who works, you can be a woman who stays home, you can be a woman who's very feminine and loves to dress up and wear heels and makeup, you can be all of these things, but mm-hmm. we haven't because we treated like um, sexism as a women's issue, we didn't address how it affects men. And it still affects men if we only think there's one man to be a man that's being macho and stoic and not feel. So all of these men are trapped because they don't have the opportunity to express express all of these human needs that they have. Mm-hmm. And so because we love men, we need to start treating sexism in all of its forms as a human issue and as the enemy. Like when we treats feminism as it's like women against men <laughs> that's where all of these issues come with the bags and all of that but like she made this case that I love because sometimes people think chivalry is like oh it's convenient when it's you're receiving it and you're in a good mood but then when you're bad and then you just think you can't help us yada yada but what she said was if we're really being genuine um the best situation isn't that men stop helping women in these situations is that they they're not it's why they're helping them not because they're weak but because they're another human being so then they also help the men in their lives and they don't hoard power over those they help so it's not like a man who can never accept help from a woman because i have to be the one helping all the time it's about i will help women because i care about them and i'll help the men in my life because i care about them and if a woman extends help to me because she just delights in doing something for me i will receive it because this is what it means to be human, so. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. Oof. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Ron, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But I just think that like fleeing is the most passive way of dealing with any kind of issue. It's like, it's like all day you're knocking these spider webs down and every two weeks you're cleaning the spider webs out instead of killing the spider. Like you haven't addressed the spider, you just you just dealing with the webs. Like it's it's so passive and it makes no sense to some capacity. Like if you have struggles, if you're a man, you have struggles with lust, then deal with those struggles with lust and don't just simply don't just simply say on the I'm, I'm gonna flee because the Bible says if you're right, if you're your if your right hand calls your left hand to sin, then cut it off. <laughs> like let, let's be real. Like it's also some practicability there and responsibility that you gotta take. So like that, I mean, guys, we we just gotta do better. Um and <laughs> And for, for women, man, uh, I'm sorry, women, I love y'all. 
Um, but I would say that like, I would truly say that like when you do have issues or struggles with like your man being friends with women, like let's deal with the struggle too. Um, and not just like wipe it out, like write it off. as like honoring your wife. Cause sometimes like you have traumas that you have to deal with. And this is real. Like if your dad yeah. cheated on your mom and like you have that fear, then that's like a very real fear. And that is mm-hmm. like an acceptable fear, but like, let's make sure it's not like stopping your husband from growing too. So. Cool. Can I add a response to that? Um, another thing that I didn't kind of get into is like, I think it's not about finding like a script for, you know, everyone should do this this way. Cause I think mm-hmm. marriage, you know, I'm single. I don't know if I'll ever be married, but I still want to honor the marriages of my friends. Yeah. Now that will look different by marriage. So maybe in, a, in one of my, my friends' marriage, it's like, oh, um, maybe I'll never have a phone call that's just me and him. Maybe she'll always be there and we're just, you know, it's a group call or whatever. This is. So whatever a couple decides, I think you're right. Like we don't write off friendships completely because that even, like, who, I don't want to marry a guy who has no girl, like who's never had any women influencing his life. Like that's ridiculous. And I hope that he will honor the men who've like helped to shape me and that they'll be part of that because then I know they can only be good if well you know some people have malicious intent but it can only be good that they've had influences with women who are like "Mm, I don't accept this this is better this is a way that you treat a woman this is the way you speak with or whatever else and likewise like I've learned so much about how you know without getting into gender stereotypes like how men receive certain things uh, from my guy friends that I would never have learned from my girlfriends mm. and that shouldn't have to stop because we get married mm-hmm. but yeah yeah absolutely well wazi you have you have put us on game today i gotta tell you i really appreciate <laughs> you sharing what you've learned and uh you know we always ask if you want to share any links or you know if you have, have the research online you can tell us where to find it and social media things like that awesome Thank you guys so much. This was really fun to, to kind of geek out. This is one of the, the few, actually the many soapboxes I have because I really, I just want the church to do better, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are you, you going to share where we can find the research and, and your social medias and stuff like that? It's not out yet uh, because it's, oh. it's still in, like I've done the first part, but I still need to finish interviewing the women. The women have a different take on this, guys. Ooh, mm. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, but, uh,